0: Hello, hello, and welcome to They Did What Now?, where we talk about how individuals ended up on death row. There are 27 states that have the death penalty as well as the U.S. government and military. As of October 1, 2020, there are 2,553 inmates on death row. As of 1976, there's 1,553 individuals that have been executed. And as of 1973, there have been 183 exonerations. Since today is the first Friday of June, we are going to talk about an exoneration. If you listened to episode 11, you heard a little bit about Deborah's exoneration. But today we're going to go into full detail of Eddie Lee Howard's case and how he was exonerated from Mississippi's death row. On the evening of February 2, 1992, 14-year-old P. Lowry noticed smoke emerging from the home of her neighbor, 84-year-old Georgia Kemp. She informed her mother of the smoke, and the Columbus, Mississippi Fire Department was summoned. The firefighters found a small smoldering fire in the living room, which had burned two holes in the floor. The battalion chief from the Columbus Fire Department found Georgia on the floor of her bedroom but was surprised because the fire did not generate enough smoke to cause death by smoke inhalation. Another firefighter checked for vital signs and concluded that Georgia was dead. The battalion chief noticed that Georgia's legs were bloodied up a bit and that she was partially exposed. He also found a bloody knife on the bed and a telephone with its line cut. At that point, the battalion chief and other firefighter exited the house so as not to disturb the scene. An investigation ensued which found that Georgia was lying on her left side exposed from the waist down and wearing nylon stockings. Her nightgown had been pulled up and ripped open in the front. Georgia had been stabbed twice in the left side of her chest and blood was found on the sheets of the bed from the headboard to the footboard. There was no evidence of forced entry or anything stolen from the house. An autopsy on Georgia's body was performed on February 3, 1992. It was found that Georgia had bruises and scrapes about the face, head and neck, multiple bruises to the left shin, and bite marks on the right breast, right side of the neck, and right forearm. Also found were injuries to both sides of the vaginal vault, which, according to the pathologists, were consistent with forced sexual intercourse. However, no semen was found, but the pathologist testified that did not mean that intercourse had not taken place. In addition, Georgia suffered injuries consistent with manual strangulation, but the cause of death was the two stab wounds to the left side of the chest, which caused severe internal bleeding. On the morning of February 3, 1992, one day after the murder, Eddie Howard paid a visit to Cafin Fulgham, his former girlfriend, and the mother of his adult child. Cafin noted that Howard smelled of smoke, not cigarette smoke, but like burnt clothes or something, you know, would like smoke. Howard consented to have dental impressions taken, which were made by a doctor on February 6, 1992. The doctor noted that Howard had a removable partial denture replacing the upper four front teeth. After George's body was exhumed, a forensic odontologist examined the dental impressions and the bite marks on George's body on February 7, 1992. The forensic odontologist found that Howard's upper teeth were consistent with the bite mark on George's arm and that both Howard's upper and lower teeth were consistent with the marks on George's neck and breasts. Howard was arrested on February 8, 1992, and at the time was living with his mother a couple of blocks away from Georgia. On February 13, 1992, Detective Turner was given a note from Howard stating, Dear Mr. Turner, I need to see you as soon as possible. It's in relation to my case. Howard was taken to Detective Turner's office and requested that Detective Turner drive him by the crime scene to see if it would bring back some memories. Howard also told Detective Turner the case was solved. After Detective Turner gave Howard an advice of rights form, he and a commander drove Howard by George's house, but Howard indicated that it did not bring back any memories to him. Detective Turner and the commander then drove Howard past his mother's house two blocks away where he had been living and his aunt's house three blocks away. The three men then passed by George's house again and returned to the Columbus Police Department. Howard was placed in Detective Turner's office, whereupon Detective Turner testified the following transpired. Again, he told that the case was solved, and he told me that there was uh, five or six other individuals involved and to keep investigating the case, that I would find out their rules in the case. Uh, and he asked me if I thought he was crazy. I looked at him and I said, no, man, you know, I don't think you're crazy. And he said, well... I'm not. I'm not crazy. And he said, I had a temper and that's why this happened. And when he said that, I mean shock just went across my body and I felt like at that point this was the guy and he had actually committed the murder. Howard was indicted on August 13, 1992, on the charge of capital murder with an underlying felony of rape. Howard represented himself at his trial, which began on May 9, 1994 the jury returned a guilty verdict after three days of trial and returned a sentence of death the same day. Howard appealed his verdict and sentence. On June 26, 1997, the Supreme Court of Mississippi reversed his murder conviction. On May 22, 2000, Howard received a new trial and was represented by counsel. After a two-day trial, the jury found Howard guilty of capital murder and sentenced him to death. Howard then appealed his conviction and sentence. On July 24, 2003, the Supreme Court of Mississippi affirmed his conviction and death sentence. On February 23, 2004, the Supreme Court of the United States denied Howard's petition of writ of certiorari. On December 2, 2010, the Supreme Court of Mississippi granted Howard's post-conviction relief in part of his request for DNA testing. Howard's claim of newly discovered evidence was denied without prejudice to be refiled with the DNA test results. In 2015, his post-conviction relief was denied. On August 27, 2020, the Supreme Court of Mississippi vacated Howard's conviction and sentence due to the following. When George's autopsy was performed, the autopsy report did not note any bite marks, but the pathologist requested an additional study of George's body on February 6, 1992, because according to the pathologist, there was some question that there could be injuries inflicted by teeth. As a result, George's body was exhumed. Howard agreed to have dental impressions taken, which revealed he had a removable denture replacing his upper four front teeth. A forensic odontologist examined George's body and using an ultraviolet light determined there were otherwise invisible marks on George's right breast, the right side of her neck, and her right arm. The forensic odontologist found these marks to be human bite marks and he used molds of Howard's teeth to perform a wound duplication test with ink or a direct comparison between the bite mark and Howard's teeth. The forensic odontologist found that the marks on George's neck and arm were consistent with Howard's teeth. He further opined at the time that the bite mark on George's right breast was indeed and without doubt inflicted by Howard. At Howard's second trial, the forensic odontologist testified that the bite marks on George's neck and arm were consistent with Howard's teeth. Regarding the bite mark on George's right breast, he found that it was an identical match to Howard's dental impressions and testified to a reasonable degree of medical certainty that Howard had inflicted that bite mark, although he was averred that he had no doubt Howard had left the mark. When Howard's evidentiary hearing was granted in 2015, He offered new evidence regarding the forensic DNA testing on the physical evidence at the time of the crime. The nightgown Georgia was wearing at the time of her death tested negative for semen. While human DNA was detected on the inside of the nightgown, male DNA was not. No semen or male DNA was detected on either of Georgia's stockings. Georgia's bedroom slippers were tested for the presence of blood. No blood was detected on the left slipper. Both the bottom and top bed sheets were tested for the presence of semen. No semen was detected on the bottom sheet. The testing on the top sheet was either negative or inconclusive for semen. No semen was detected in the sexual assault kit. Human DNA was detected in George's fingernail scrapings, but no male DNA was detected in either sample. A blood test was performed on the knife. Of the five areas tested, one was positive for blood. That area was located near the tip of the blade. The knife blade and handle were tested for touch DNA. Male DNA was detected on the knife blade, but Howard was excluded as the source. When the forensic odontologist testified, he said he was a member of the American Board of Forensic Odontology, or ABFO. He testified that the community of forensic odontologists was quite small and that the ABFO was the only way one could become board certified as a forensic odontologist, as he was. He also testified that he had followed the ABFO's guidelines as to the acceptable conclusions he could represent to a jury. He explained that he could reach one of four conclusions from a bite mark comparison first, he could exclude the suspect, second, he could not exclude the suspect. Third, he could identify the suspect as the source of the bite mark, or lastly, he could reach no conclusion. In 2000, the forensic odontologist's testimony was consistent with the ABFO's guidelines, which approved the following descriptions to relate a suspected biter to a bite mark. The biter, the probable biter, not excluded as the biter, excluded as the biter, and inconclusive. In 2013, the ABFO revised its guidelines to prohibit individualization testimony in open population cases like Howard's, in which the number of suspects is unknown. In 2016, the ABFO again revised its guidelines and eliminated individualization entirely. In 2016, revisions only allowed the following conclusions, excluded as having made the bite mark, not excluded as having made the bite mark and inconclusive. A study published in 2009 by the National Academy of Sciences reported the lack of scientific basis for bite mark evidence and research concluding that even board-certified forensic dentists could not reliably identify a human bite mark on human skin, much less compare and accurately match an alleged bite mark to the teeth of a single individual to the exclusion of all others. Had Howard's trial been today... Or in 2016, after the ABFO's second set of revisions, the forensic odontologist or any other forensic dentist would not be able to offer the individualization testimony. On August 27, 2020, the Supreme Court of Mississippi said, Given the inadmissibility of the forensic odontologist's identification of Howard as the biter, the absence of forensic or eyewitness evidence putting Howard at the scene of the crime, and the newly discovered presence of another man's DNA on the murder weapon, we conclude that Howard met his burden to show by the preponderance of the evidence that in light of his newly discovered evidence, a jury would probably not find him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Howard's conviction was reversed, and the Supreme Court of Mississippi remanded his case to the circuit court with directions that it grant Howard a new trial. Where is Eddie Howard today? After 26 years on Mississippi's death row, Eddie Howard was released on December 4, 2020. He was housed at Parchman Farm, a former slave plantation turned prison in one of the most dangerous and brutal facilities in the United States. On January 7, 2021, the prosecution dismissed the case and Eddie was exonerated.